0: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. It reminds me of a quote that worrying about tomorrow will never solve today's problems, but will only sap your strength from today. So, so it's very yeah. important if you want to solve tomorrow's problems to, to basically focus on where you are right now, to be calm and, like you say, mindful right now. But what I really want to get into is how did you get into this? It seems almost well, sort I- of like, you know, woo-woo, to go from being a congressman to getting into meditation and mindfulness and being the only one, really, who is this much out there into it. I mean, you wrote a book. It's widely received. Uh, So, again, sorry for for interrupting.
2: No, Well, there was a moment in my political career that kind of um, accelerated and kind of realigned my spiritual journey, in a sense, Uh, in 2008 when I had been in Congress five or six years. I was extremely tired and I was getting to the point where I was going to be burnt out. So I, I went on this retreat that really jumpstarted my practice to have a higher quality of life and better relationships. That's what's important.
0: This is James Altucher with another weekly podcast of the James Altucher show. And I'm here with, uh, I'm going to actually say he's a weird guest which is saying a lot for this show. So I'm here with Congressman Tim Ryan. Congressman, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. And Congressman, the reason I introduce like that, I've had guests ranging from Dan Marino to Wayne Dyer to Tim Ferriss, Tucker Max. I've had all sorts of, Ariana Huffington. And the reason why I think you're sort of a special guest is that when I say Dan Marino, what do you think? Miami Dolphins. Exactly. You think you got very specific. I think football. Okay. Yeah. Wayne Dyer, you think personal improvement. Ariana Huffington, you think the Huffington Post. But if I say Congressman Tim Ryan, I don't think necessarily the congressman who meditates. Like, there's sort of, you don't really think of that combination in Washington, D.C. Like, huh, someone who actually takes time to think about what they're doing, because I'm taking a very superficial view of what mindfulness is, but, but why don't you define mindfulness, and then we'll talk about your book, and, and then I want to talk about how you got into this. So, so what is mindfulness?
2: Um, I've adopted uh, John Kabat-Zinn's definition of that mindfulness is uh, paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judging. So being and trying to cultivate a sense of awareness uh, of the present moment and not always taking your thoughts as absolute truths, you know, and and sometimes just seeing them as what they are, their thoughts, and you can let them go. You don't have to believe them. You don't have to chase them and and cultivating that kind of awareness. not only focus and concentration, but also more awareness of, of the present moment. And you mentioned Dan Marino and football, and I, this was one of the things that really drew me to the practice later in life, is that it reminded me of those moments I had as an athlete many, many years ago, and not as often as I wish they would have happened, but of being in the zone, you know, that state of flow that uh, your mind and your body were in the same place at the same time. And recognizing, you know, several years ago that you can actually train your mind to be in that place for the other aspects of your life, not just athletics, was very profound to me. And uh, so that, to me, is what mindfulness is, cultivating that state of awareness of the present moment.
0: And so, so for instance, um, you know, I write a lot about... Uh, employment and the economic uncertainty that's, that's happening in today's day and age. So someone maybe writes to me like an example email from this weekend. Somebody just lost their job. They're very worried about the future. They're worried they're going to lose their house. They're worried they're going to lose their wife. They're worried they're going to lose their kids. So they're scared. And what does mindfulness do for a person like that?
2: Well, th- those are very difficult circumstances, um, to try to stay present in because they're so threatening to your, your well being, your, your family and everything that you really hold dear. And I'm glad you brought that up because I go to a lot of conferences and I have a lot of friends and I have some fun with, you know, the tech crowd out in San Francisco who are, lo- they're looking into mindfulness, you know. Partially because they're stressed out, they're overworked, they're burned out, you know. But they're doing really well, you know. They're making a lot of money. They have a house. They have a car. They, you know, in some ways, are living the, at least the monetized version of the American dream. And I like to bring them back to the people in Youngstown, Ohio, or the people in Akron, Ohio, where I live and where and the people I represent who have the very issue that you talked about. And I think mindfulness, um, kind of like athletics, except in a different sense, um, in those really difficult moments really the best thing you can do for yourself and your family is to not come from a place of fear. And that's totally easier said than done. Um, but if, you, if you're losing your job, you, you now have to start figuring out what to do next. And to, in order to really make those best decisions it, it, for the future is to be completely awake in the present moment and maybe not be driven by your fears but maybe see opportunity that may lie in there to get retrained and maybe get a better job or to realign what you're doing with your family. I mean, I'm not, I I hate to even, it's difficult to talk about it because you don't ever want to diminish how difficult that is. But the best thing you can do is to be awake and aware in the present moment. And, you know, guys from my, my line of work need to do a better job with dealing with inequality and having policies that don't promote inequality and, and bring about livable wages and good health care and all of that. So we've got our hands full too, but from a very personal situation, the best thing you can do is to be awake and aware in the present moment. And it is like that athlete, you know, it's just like that athlete in a high pressure situation when the chips are down, you know, who are the athletes we we revere? It's the Dan Marinos of the world. It's the Joe Montanas of the world. It's the LeBron Jameses of the world, or, you know, those people who can perform when there should be nothing but fear and they turn it into gold somehow
0: well it reminds me it reminds me of the quote that worrying about tomorrow will never solve today's problems but will only sap your strength from today so so it's very yeah. important if you want to solve tomorrow's problems to to basically focus on where you are right now to be calm. And like you say, mindful right now. But what I really want to get into is how did you get into this? Like where does a, a you know, you've been, you, you were a state Senator, you worked for a, another Congressman, You you became a Congressman. So you've been all your adult life in this kind of political arena, which is high stress, high intensity, extremely competitive, if not cutthroat. How did you get into this? It seems almost sort of like, you know, woo woo, you know, to get into, to go from being a congressman to getting into meditation and mindfulness and being the only one really who is this much out there into it. I mean, you wrote a book, it's widely received. Uh, So, again, sorry for for interrupting.
2: No, well, there was a moment in my political career that kind of um, accelerated and kind of realigned my spiritual journey in a sense. Uh, in 2008, when I had been in Congress five or six years, I was extremely uh, tired, and I was getting to the point where I was going to be burnt out. And I was 35. Well, why were you years tired? Old fundraising campaigning you know ohio is a very busy political state it goes back and forth red and blue red and blue and so you know i was campaigning for friends of mine around the state sherrod brown who was running for senator ted strickland who was running for governor back in the day and uh campaigning for other congressional candidates the fundraising burden and then i uh, i'm a democrat and then when we won the house back in 2006 I got on the appropriations committee and and that was a whole other you know portfolio of of busyness and work that I love and and enjoyed, but it was it was adding up and so I went on a um after the two thousand eight election. I thought you know I don't want to be burnt out by the time I'm forty, um so I knew the days where I meditated. You know that I was better. I was more focused, more relaxed, had higher levels of energy. You know, so, so, better, so some
0: days during this election process, you were taking the time to to meditate. What were, what were you doing?
2: Uh, I was I was doing all. I was doing some Wayne Dyer uh, meditations that he uh, had. I did some Deepak Chopra. I did some uh, Christian center Christian centering prayer. Um, you know, so I did a uh, you know Vipassana, the one I do now mostly. Um, uh, all, all of those, uh, you know, mantra-based, uh, TM style. I've, I've tried them all, <laughs> you know, really. You've done the whole and
0: smorgasbord. You've your, uh, you've done yeah. the whole spectrum of, uh, mm-hmm. of meditations. Pretty but they're much. They are all basically go down to the same principles.
2: Well, I, I think, you know, there are there are differences, and but they all have benefits. And, you know, to me, it doesn't really matter which one you do if it's helping you, you know, and have a higher quality of life and better relationships. That's what's important. So I, I went on this retreat that, that really jump started my practice because I would do it for a day and then not do it for six months. I'd do it for two days and then not do it for three months. And it was that kind of inconsistency. And I knew that I had to, if I was really going to have a daily practice, that I needed a retreat to kind of jumpstart it, but you know, I, I go all the way back to growing up as a Catholic schoolboy, um, as an altar boy, as you know, someone who was you know involved in the church. My, my family was very involved in the church. I went to Catholic school for twelve years. I really trace kind of the fundamental um, inquisitiveness about spiritual life and, and contemplation back to that. And I had, I was very fortunate, you know, I played football, I was quarterback and all that good stuff in Northeast Ohio, which is, you know, a big deal back here. Um, But I remember having coaches in my high school that I would watch as the bell rang for class in school, and I'd go one way and this coach would go the other way. And I remember every day seeing him step into the chapel to get some quiet time. And I remember going to church and walking down the aisle and seeing one of the old football, legendary football coaches from the area sitting there praying the rosary. You know, my grandfather prayed the rosary. And, and, and so I had people that I, men that I looked up to that were coaches and teachers and athletes themselves prioritize this as something that was important in their life. And so I the more I get into this the more I say boy I had a lot of people modeling for me that this was an okay thing to do and nothing to be ashamed of and eventually when I discovered it in a very powerful way you know I had the courage uh, to go out and write a book about it and talk about it even though I was a member of the United States Congress
0: And and the book's interesting because you you talk a little bit about your personal experiences but not so much instead I think you you I mean, you use scientific result after scientific result to show the benefits of mindfulness. Like, you know, and what are some of those benefits?
2: Well, you know, we talked a lot about stress, for example. Um, You know, there's a lot of uh, science coming online about how this is a major stress reducer. Now, obviously, people who practice it know through their own personal experience how powerful it can be. Um, But science is starting to come online and, and showing how. That this can reduce stress and therefore uh, and reduce inflammation in your body and inflammation in your body causes a series of negative things it could be both from a bad diet or stress but in this instance we talk about stress and it causes heart disease high blood pressure ulcers type 2 diabetes you know on and on and on uh, because of high levels of stress and and mindfulness is being shown to reduce that level of stress and therefore uh, signs of reducing inflammation which is transferred Transformational. When you're looking at our healthcare system, there was one study I talk about in the book where they had two groups that uh, they both had, they had a psoriasis and they would uh, each go into a light box for treatment. Each group would, but one group practiced mindfulness. I think it was for about 20 minutes while they were in the light box getting the treatment. And so the group that was practicing mindfulness needed four times less. The treatments than the group that just went into the light box and you know uh, this seems to say that uh, by reducing your stress your body will do what it naturally wants to do and that's heal itself and so reducing your stress will allow it to do that uh, better and when you're coming from my vantage point in Congress and you're looking at the 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 budget for our country over the long haul the primary driver for our deficits is health care both in Medicare and Medicaid and so why wouldn't we want to try to adopt something that has no side effects, could reduce stress and help drive down healthcare costs?
0: You know, I wonder if some of it's related to the fact that, you know, just physically, you know, the, the gut and the heart have almost as many neurons or neurotransmitters in them as the brain. So when a lot of, you know, mindfulness and meditation starts off with kind of deep breathing into the gut or diaphragm area, and I wonder if that helps You know, a lot of times when you're stressed, you're stressed first in your gut, which is why we refer to stress eating or I have butterflies in my stomach or I feel like, you know, gut pains when I'm afraid of something. And so I wonder if mindfulness is related to kind of reconnecting all the parts of your brain so it flows a little more smoothly.
2: I think so, and you know, and that's why we've got to study it more. And I think that's why we've got to have more public awareness of it, so we can say, okay, we have the National Institutes of Health; they are putting more money into this. But boy, if we could really ramp up and do a ten-year longitudinal study with you know hundreds and hundreds of, if not thousands, of people, to really figure out you know what's happening here. And what can ultimately lead to us being as healthy and productive and happy as we possibly can be seems to me that'd be a great investment for the United States government to make. Um, The other the other thing, too, is uh, the education. I mean, you see really if we're going to transform the country it's going to start with you know the kids that are coming up now and there are education programs that are whether it's the mindful schools program or different social and emotional learning programs like inner resiliency or Goldie Hawn has a program called Mind Up phenomenal programs that are teaching kids in the elementary schools these these basic skills that that we think are so important, but we just don't teach our kids. You know, we yell at our kids to pay attention, and trust me, I went to Catholic school, so that happened more than once. But we don't teach our kids how to pay attention. And really, mindfulness is the how of paying attention, and you cultivate that focus, that concentration, that awareness that's only going to improve the child's ability to learn. And then when you also look, and what's very interesting is the stress response, whether you're a child or you're in the Marine Corps, is is the same. You have an older part of your brain called the amygdala. The amygdala gets really cranked up if you're in a stressful situation. That's where your fight-or-flight response is really coming from, and and. Over time, whether you're serving two or three tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you can really start to shift your brain with all of that stress and trauma that can come from that that tour of duty. And so mindfulness can help calm that part of your brain down. And when that, brain, when that part of your brain is really cranked up almost prevents you from accessing different parts of your prefrontal cortex, the executive functions of your brain. It's kind of like the CEO of the brain. Working memory happens there, attention span, decision-making. All of these happen in the prefrontal cortex. So high levels of stress uh, prevent you from accessing your prefrontal cortex. So if you're a Marine, that can get very dangerous because now you're in fight or flight and you can't engage your prefrontal cortex and you may may end up making some decisions that you don't want to make and could have really global ramifications when you think about it today. Same for a kid, James, same exact thing for a kid. If a kid's living in a tough neighborhood, there's gangs, domestic violence in the home. You know, we can say, oh, you know, this kid just can't learn, or we can say, well, what the science is telling us is this kid's having chronic levels of stress because of his environment. He probably has a bad diet too. Um, but his amygdala is really cranked up. He can't access his prefrontal cortex, so he's never going to be able to learn. So what do we do to calm down his amygdala so that he can engage the executive parts of his brain that he's going to need to learn? And mindfulness is showing us that you can calm that part of your brain down. With They do belly breathing exercises. They do body awareness, body scan exercises, very simple stuff. Well, what's an example? Like,
0: What's the simplest thing that a listener can try right now?
2: Well, the, the one they really start with a lot is the the, the, um, the um, body scan. So you can lay in bed or sit in a chair and you just become aware of your feet. And then, you know, you can get a guided scan. Uh, a CD or a podcast or something of, of John Kabat-Zinn and he'll guide you through this and then you you become aware of your feet and then you become aware of your ankles and then your calves and you deep and take some deep breaths into that area then to your knees then to your thighs and your and all the way up to the top of your head and you take about 10 or 15 minutes to do this but it starts to ground your focus your awareness into different areas, and your mind will go off from your feet. And you see that your mind went off from your feet, and you bring it back and bring it back to your feet.
0: Don't get so disappointed if your mind drifts, just it's a practice in bringing it back.
2: Well, it's it, that's you make the, the point that always needs to be made, so I'm glad you brought it up because people always say, Oh, I'm bad at this, <laughs> you know, I can't do it. Well, no one can when you first start. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's like when you go to the gym for the first day, you're not going to get on you know, the machine and start you know, lifting 225 pound bench press or whatever. You start and you cultivate your strength of your muscles. Same thing with your attention span. So your mind's inevitably going to go off a million different times. The key is to come back one million in one time and, and you'll start to see over time your ability to cultivate your attention span and have higher levels of attention. So if this is a fundamental aspect of learning. Why aren't we teaching it to our kids at a very, very early age? Well, well, that's a great question because
0: there is tons of studies. There's tons of programs that have been working. You're a congressman. Why aren't we? Why aren't we kind of requiring our schools? Instead, we're requiring our schools to take these standardized tests and, you know, answer multiple choice questions. What's the deal here?
2: Yeah, well, I think you're right to ask that. And this is not a dodge from the federal level. Most of these decisions are made at the state level where they they run the schools and then the local district. But I think we should be, from from the federal government side, I think promoting these kinds of uh, uh, programs that that schools can maybe get a federal grant and start to implement it. There's some money in, like, the safe and drug-free schools account that does some of this stuff as a part of uh, prevention but it's 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 a small, paltry amount of money when you think about what the needs actually are, and we got a grant a couple years ago for Youngstown and Warren City schools, and my whole goal was the grant was a million bucks. The whole goal was to say we're not going to keep funding this from the federal level, but we want to we want to uh, have a proof of concept here and in the local schools they're doing extremely well, and they're starting to move local money from other programs into the, the program that we started because this is so fundamental. You know, these bullying programs haven't moved the needle in the last four or five years at all because we're not getting to the root cause of these problems. Well, Same what what, are, what are they trying to do
0: right now? The bullying programs like what's the, what's the idea?
2: Well, it's like, don't bully, you know, or tell on the bully. I and, see. and, and I think this, this is so fundamental. It's like, what is going on in the, and the child that's bullying, like what's going on, what's going on inside of them? What's going on in their family life? What's going on in their neighborhood? Why are they, why are they feeling this? And bullying's always been an issue, but today it's, it's dangerous and it's gotten out of hand. And I think it's showing us how much anxiety these kids are living under. You know, they're either bullying or they find drugs and alcohol, maybe one, or they they lack so much intimacy in their life that teen pregnancy is is becoming an issue uh, all across the country. You look at the anxiety, even in wealthy school districts, for getting proper test scores. And, oh, my God, if you don't get into Harvard or Yale, you're a complete loser. So they're taking Adderall and they're, they're doing all kinds of drugs to stay up at night to make sure they make the grades like what the hell are we doing to our kids And the default position from from the from many people is well put them on some drugs, you know, get them on some ADD medication or ADHD medication or they're depressed or whatever. It's like wait a minute, we're gonna have a nation full of doped up kids and the same thing with our vets you know they come back and it's like, well, These practices that I'm talking about, whether it's mindfulness based stress reduction or there's a program called Project Welcome Home Troops that does deep breathing exercises and they do a power breath workshop that are getting these vets off of their medication. These guys are sleeping through the night for the first time in years. And I talk to them all the time. And they, they're, these are Vietnam vets that are in their 60s and sometimes 70 years old that all of a sudden discovered mindfulness-based stress reduction. And they're like, holy cow, I've waited 40 years for this. You know, and and they feel obligated to tell the younger vets the same thing. We had a kid the other day, Billy Birdzell, who was, had did several tours. He was on the front page of the Washington Post. He came to a, a meditation session that we have. He said I, they were pushing me down the the road of put, getting on drugs, and I had I had some real issues with post traumatic stress, but I wasn't going to go there. He developed his his girlfriend's a yoga teacher. He developed yoga, tai chi, meditation. Uh, acupuncture. He kind of created his own little way of, and the the kid's fine. He's so lighthearted and he says, I got my life back. And Mm -hmm. and the point is like the default position for America in 2014 and moving forward cannot be uh, better living through pharmaceuticals. It just can't be because we're going to have a nation full of kids who are just zombies and same with our vets. And to me, that's unacceptable. We can do better than that.
0: So again, uh, you know, given these results, and these results are all over the place, they're not hidden, they're not just in your book, like I've read them in other places, uh, is it is it the pharma company that's lobbying against, you know, kind of more exploration of this? Of what's happening that's preventing more exploration of this and the FDA instead pushing more Adderall on everybody?
2: Well, I think it's just a lack of awareness. I really do. I don't think there's any big grand conspiracy um, obviously the pharmaceutical companies are interested in making money and, and
0: are, are they in your district
2: <laughs> and pushing their their product? Um no not really. You know, I mean obviously they sell in my district but right. um you know it's not it's not a big um industry here but you know I, to me it's it, it's this message just has to get out that this this isn't fringe. This isn't woo woo. This is something that the Marine Corps is doing. This is something that Phil Jackson did with the Los Angeles Lakers and the Chicago Bulls to increase performance and concentration and focus and awareness and all the stuff we've been talking about. This is something that a lot of medical schools are starting to teach. In fact, I was down at uh, the Ohio State University in Columbus a few weeks back. They're they're students. They have a couple students that actually want mindfulness-based stress reduction to be a course for first-year medical students. So the kids are starting to ask for this now. The students are starting to ask for this now. So what we've got to do is continue to, to raise awareness about this, and this is kind of why I wanted to write the book and celebrate the scientists and the people in the military and the vets and the schools that are doing this to really say, hey, listen, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. I mean, this, I'm not from L.A. I'm not from New York. You know, I'm not from Vermont. I'm from Youngstown. I played football my whole life. You know, like that's what we do. We play sports. You know, I represent steel mills and auto manufacturers and, you know, normal America.
0: Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K through 12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the US and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H I M S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science backed treatments for erectile dysfunction hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? <laughs> yes, I definitely gonna use him for now Not own. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might You might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims.com/slash James. Can you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. Hims.com/slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs Hims. That's Hims.com/slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com/slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See himscom James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. You're kind of like in ground zero of what's happening in the American economy right now with essentially, you know, not only global outsourcing, but technology outsourcing and just the general retrofitting of the economy to use less employees. So it, Youngstown's kind of the center of a hundred year industrial revolution that's coming to an end. And what's what, what do you see happening economically in th- this industrial belt right now?
2: Well, we've got some real positive signs, too. Um, The the president is starting the the beginning workings of about 15 of these um, manufacturing innovation institutes. The first one a couple of years ago was put in Youngstown, Ohio, and they're doing additive manufacturing, three-dimensional printing. A, a bunch of, uh, you know, corporations are here who do manufacturing for the military, the energy sector, and, and other areas. They're all here in Youngstown now, so there's a great opportunity there. There's, you know, business software incubator we have in Youngstown that the average uh, wage is about $58,000 a year. There's only 300 employees there, but it's a, it's a growth area for us. I was just out in Akron the other day, We've got a business accelerator out there, and I think the average wage out there is into the $60,000 a year as well. My, I think there's a variety of things that we need to do. Um, one of the issues is, is coding, is teaching kids how to code. There's uh, one coder for every three jobs that are available, almost the exact opposite of the rest of the country, where there's you know uh, three people looking for every one job. So there's thousands of coders that are needed with just about a year's worth of training. And there's some great programs like Yes, uh, Yes, We Code, and there's uh, Women Who Code out of New York, where we can get kids trained up in coding, I think we need to we do need to make some public investments into our our roads, our bridges, our infrastructure, our airports, uh, our combined sewers. These are public investments that need to get made and will put people to work and if you work in the building trades here in Aaron in Ohio, you make a, a decent buck. You make probably twenty dollars an hour, twenty five dollars an hour. Those are a lot of projects there that, that need to get done, but ultimately, I think another area is food. Um, I think we need to focus more on regional sustainable farming where you can keep food local and grow and nurture the local food supply chain, uh, and keep money in these, in these different regions and get away from these uh, monoculture and monocrops and all of these things. So there's a, there's a food component of, of it as well. And, and ultimately, I think what we have to do is we're in the beginning of creating a new economy. I mean, we just have to. The old economy is on the way out, and the new economy is yet to be created. And I think ultimately what we need to do is make sure that our students, that we we obviously do put money into research and development through the Department of Energy and Department of Defense and NIH and National Science Foundation. I think we really need to ramp that up. We need to get kids in our schools that are focused aware, get these programs in our schools, social and emotionally literate, but this also brings about creativity and your ability to tap into your own uh, creativity and that's going to help us as we move forward but we also in order to stimulate that creativity we need to get these kids excited about math and science as well with Legos in the elementary schools and with robotics in the in the grade schools and you know uh, stem colleges in our universities and really see okay let's unleash it I can't tell you what the economy is going to look like in 10 years I don't think anybody can but I do know if we give the kids the skills we talked about with the social and emotional learning and the mindfulness and everything that brings to bear, we get them excited about being creative. And that means music and art in our schools and really get the creative juices flowing. We're teaching them how to work in teams moving forward and getting, like I said, Legos and robotics and getting them excited in these kind of things. They'll go out into the world and they want to make change. You know, they're environmentally conscious so that there can be a whole new design movement for how we start designing our products that, you know, can be um, placed back in the earth at the end of their life cycle without doing a whole lot of damage. I was at a company yesterday, and now you got me going (laughs) because I love economic development, but I was in a company in Akron the other day. They're pulling all the plastic out of landfills, and they're converting it into Oil, the oil that was in the plastics, and they're reducing the garbage that that's going in the landfills and reducing landfills by tons, tons, billions of tons of, of uh, plastics.
0: Now, and, is there are there regulations like on on what to do with landfills? For instance, there's a lot of natural gases that that landfills you know exude. So, are there things you can and can't do with
2: landfills? Uh, well, yeah, I think methane too is a big issue coming out of landfills. Yeah, yeah you do have to be careful. You do have to but, be careful.
0: But, but like methane, something that, for instance, can be recycled into energy, and I think that's one of the things that you're not allowed to do use with landfills. Like uh, a lot of this is sort of regular, you know, kind of held back by regulation for some reason.
2: I agree, and and I think that's what I'm talking about when there's a new economy, and just because you may you know, be a Democrat and the old, the old way of, or environmentalist, and the old way of doing it was, hey, we better regulate these landfills. Well, let's maybe set up some pilot projects with some companies who know how to take the methane out of the landfill and recycle it and oh, w- put w- it would into you a little say, more productive use.
0: I mean, would you say, for instance, can you think of an example where sort of taking a step back, being mindful, being meditative has put you at odds with let's say the Democratic leadership in terms of just blindly following, you know, whatever the leadership tells you, and I'm saying this whether you're a Democrat or a Republican.
2: Yeah, I think so. I've, I think it's uh, you know it's allowed me to like think for myself and and really see, not be blinded by. Oh well, this is my party. I should be with them, or that makes sense to me, and I'm not even going to think about it. Well,
0: what's um, an example? Like, what's a, what's a profile and courage that that the you know the mindfulness has has given you?
2: Well, I would say you know the other day um, we had a we had a vote on the research and development uh, tax credit, and the Democrats were against it, and it was not paid for. And a lot of times now, the Republicans won't do anything because it's not paid for. And which I think in the long term is, is not necessarily a bad strategy, but they won't even pay, you know, uh, find a way to pay for unemployment insurance to extend it. Um, and I'm fr- extending unemployment insurance even though right now we don't have the revenue to pay for it because I think the social value is there. But anyway, Democrats were against the research and development tax credit because it wasn't paid for and they were whipping Democrats to vote against it. And I voted for it because I think if there's one thing we can do for our economy today is give some certainty to these businesses who are doing the research and development and commercialization of products that are going to lead to job growth in our country. And I recognize it's not paid for today, and maybe we have to come back and figure out a way to do it, but I think that is something that we need to do. So that was my belief, and I see it happening in my district. I see the businesses that are p- growing or ones using, uh, or could potentially use this research and development tax credit. So I voted against the party on that because I just and, I felt and, like they were they were wrong.
0: And, and what happens? Like, does does when you vote against a, a vote like that? Does like Frank Underwood suddenly call you and
2: uh, <laughs> start, start yelling at you? Like you know, start? Yeah, wh- I stay I stay out of, I stay out of the train station. You know what I mean with with Frank. <laughs> Um, no, I mean you know they, you people get upset with you, and uh, but there's always another vote at another time. So you know whatever. I just I, I think I've been around long enough now. I've been in, I've been in Congress twelve years. That you know when I disagree with the House leadership, I vote my conscience, and I and I you know say I want to do the the different direction and i would hope that at some point i could help persuade people to say hey no this is something we talk about research and development we should be for the research and development tax credits so that's just that's one example but with the the real benefit that i've noticed from 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 a, my vantage point here is really you begin to see how things are really interconnected you know the we have for so long uh kept this industrial age mentality where okay, here's the Department of Agriculture, here's the Department of Education, here's the Department of this and that. And in reality, these are all connected. You know, we just had a huge discussion of a farm bill in the United States. All our ag policies are now set in stone for the next five years. There was no discussion about diabetes, there was no discussion that in the next few years half of our country is going to either have diabetes or pre-diabetes. There was no discussion about the obesity epidemic. You know? And it's like, well guys, food is a huge component of health. You know, even when we went through the whole healthcare debate, we weren't talking about food. You know, now, why, why do you
0: think the, the the two concepts weren't linked? Are Are you think people are thinking still in a kind of a poverty mindset, like, well, we have to feed people first?
2: Yeah, I think I think that's that's part of it. And part of it is just, again, a, a certain like inertia builds up around issues that it just becomes so difficult um, to to face and to shift. But, you know, How how can we sit here and and think that we can eat fake food ad infinitum, you know, indefinitely, and it's not going to affect our health? And we're watching the numbers continue to increase with, like I said, with diabetes and pre-diabetes and obesity, and we're seeing what's happening to our children. We're reading articles about all of these antibiotics that are in, in our chicken's uh, and the poultry that we eat, huge levels to where we're becoming resistant to certain antibiotics, which could be a hell of an issue for us as a country. You're Looking at the hormones that we put uh, in, in our meat and the fact that cows are even eating corn when they're designed to eat grass. They've developed this chamber in their belly to digest grass uh, and... It's actually healthy for you. To, so, know. so, it, so, would you add, say add that,
0: that, like you described earlier, uh, you know, studies show how mindfulness in, uh, almost, it, let's say, it relaxes the amygdala, so there's more communication with the prefrontal cortex, which is like the CEO of the brain, as you described it. Would you say that kind of practicing those connections and making those connections run more smoothly? Allows you as a congressman to more easily start making these connections between the different concepts being voted on and, and argued and debated and so on.
2: Yeah, definitely. Just to, it, you see it clearly, you know. You see the connections, and and it really does look awfully foolish, you know. And but I think it's not, you know. I think moms get this, you know. I think there's there there are mothers who do the grocery shopping and who you know watch their kids grow up and see them in schools that are saying Gee, something just isn't right here like wh- how can we keep going down this road and it's done it's not democratic or republican it's like living if you're alive and paying attention and watching your kids you know i think you know for me stepping into this void and talking about it can really have a, a powerful impact and my my goal is to how do we mobilize these these moms how do we th- mobilize the country
0: did you get pushback at all? Like, I saw one reference on, on Google. Somebody called you, uh, Congressman Moonbeam, almost like reference to, uh, uh, Jerry Brown in California in the, in the seventies, uh, cause all I right. think he was referred to the same way. Like, did you get pushback when you wrote this book that, uh, oh, you're, you're thinking of issues not important to the district or this guy's crazy or what, what, what was sort of the response from, from constituents in your district when you wrote this book?
2: You know, I think most people don't necessarily know exactly what, you know, what this is. Mm -hmm. Um, But they see me out at the schools and they hear what the teachers are saying about it. And so they leave with a very positive uh, impression that, you know, I'm doing something good for the schools because even the teachers are saying how much it's benefiting the kids. And, And, you know, most people don't really pay that much attention to every little thing that's going on. But in my district especially, I'm so involved with all of the other things that we were talking about, the Additive Manufacturing Institute and and bringing money back for educational programs. And just, you know, I'm just really involved in a lot of the economic development that's happening in the community. And, you know, when I talk about this, I don't talk about, you know, Whatever, I talk about the science. I talk about Phil Jackson. I talk about the Seattle Seahawks who had a right. whole mindfulness based program this year. Um, and an amazing sports psychologist that's working with them. And it's like I said I tell my my guys who like to give me a hard time. I'm like, the Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl. You know, they weren't laying uh on the field against the Broncos in like Savasana pose doing a body scan. You know, they were in the game. They were playing, but they were focused and aware, and obviously it worked um, because they were in the present moment and paying attention to what was happening around them and had a high level of focus and concentration. And, you know, um, so it's this is not about you sit on a cushion or you go to a yoga studio and then you get off the mat or off the cushion or off your chair and you go back to, you know, life no this is about taking that awareness off of the practice off of the cushion and into your life so that you know when your wife you know talks to you you're trying you're paying attention when your kids are there you're present for the kids because that's what they do they just feel you most of the time the kids they just feel whether or not you are present with them you bring that to those daily situations and i just think if we all brought just a little bit more just if we were just a little bit less stressed, if we were just going a little bit less crazy, if the treadmill was just going a little bit slower, that our country would shift in, in really dramatic ways.
0: I I totally agree with that. So so let me ask you this. What what do you worry about? Like like you have an election coming up. Every two years you have an election coming up. Do you get stressed about that? that you might not win? Do you, do you have anybody even running against you? Like you've been there twelve years, so you're pretty it's a pretty easy layup, right?
2: Yeah, we we've got a good district, you know, and I've been around it, like I said, for 12 years and, and know most people in the district. And yeah, so we're, we're we do OK. And it's a strong Democratic district as well. So um, we just got out of a Democratic primary where we had someone run against me and we got about 85 percent of the vote. Which,
0: who, who would you know, run against you? Like, what do they say?
2: They had a they had a they had a personal issue of a local crime that was committed that they wanted me to look into and they felt like I didn't do enough to look into it. Um, it all well, what me. was the issue? Uh, some a policeman uh, shot somebody and uh, and it went through the entire court. You know, uh, it was all it went to trial and all of that stuff and the cop was found innocent. And you know, there's nothing I can do really from the legislative. Perspective—it's kind of that goes through the judicial branch, but that's why he ran, and that—that that was the reason. And um, you know, and we did well, so it was—it was good. And um, you know, I just—but I, you—you always worry. I mean, you know, this is this is another thing that that I think is important to point out when you're talking about you know the practice of mindfulness. It doesn't make all your problems go away you know you still have fear you still you still get nervous you still worry you may lose your job or your kids or you know something may happen and my wife now she's pregnant so you you know you worry about the baby and oh, you know Oh congratulations you know, thank you thank you, you but you, you know you these are things you can, you're concerned about um you know is the baby moving is the baby not moving Is how's my wife feel you know you just and what this does is i think it helps you come in better relationship with all of those things, you know, and it doesn't mean that it's, you know, soft or, you know, squishy, but it's like, are you going to let these negative thoughts like run overrun your life so that you're in a bad mood so that when your wife needs you to be there for her, you're, you know, a little bit, you know, edgy and irritable. And is that going to make the situation better or worse? Or can you develop a skill set that allows you to see those negative thoughts, see those fears, and kind of just, you know, breathe through them and let them pass like the clouds in the sky. And that's ultimately a skill that you can learn. And it's the same with those kids in the schools. Are we going to teach those kids the fundamental skills of, oh my God, I'm angry and I want to punch this kid right in the face, but I learn these breathing exercises and these techniques, it's going to pass. My, my amygdala is a little cranked up right now. Let me take a few deep breaths and, this is, and and let it go. And this is what they teach them at the school, James. This is, you know, this is exactly what they teach them. I was there the other day, and this girl was talking about how she had a little tiff with this other girl in the uh, lunch line or in the breakfast line. And we're, she said, we're, you know, it was so amazing to think how aware she was of her own feelings. And she said, you know, we're just not getting along right now. And the teacher said, would you like to make an invitation to her? And she said, yes. And the two girls got up and they went into a side of the classroom where they have what's called a peace corner. And the two kids went to the peace corner. They didn't disrupt the class, they didn't push each other, they didn't get in a fight. They went to this peace corner, they talked it out, they did a little coloring together. And they came back to the classroom. Now that is education, you know. That that definitely is, and I
0: I wish. Look, I wish my kids had uh, is are taught this at their school, but unfortunately, they're not. Unfortunately, you see this everywhere: veterans' hospitals, schools, you know, factories that are closing down, uh, Silicon Valley. It's not. I strongly believe these are skills that should be taught, and it's great that someone in Congress is is. Being aware of this and hopefully spreading this to your fellow uh, congressman and congresswoman. Now, what do you well, what do you do the rest of the day? What's what's the day like for a congressman?
2: Well, I'm gonna uh, get in the car. I'm gonna put my. I'm gonna play with the dogs for a couple minutes, and then I'm gonna um, get in the car and I'm gonna drive to D.C. I'm in eastern Ohio, so it's about a five hour drive.
0: So and, not horrible. Yeah. Better than flying.
2: Yeah, I, I go back and forth, but I get tired of flying sometimes. And so I drive for a while and then I get tired of driving and then I'll fly for a little while. But I want to have my car down there because my wife's due in the next like two, three weeks. And I just don't know when it's going to come. So I want to have the car in town in case I got to, you know, get in it and get back here in right. case there's not a, a flight. So I'm going to drive for a little bit. And then um, we have uh, uh, a quiet time caucus that we do every week where at six o'clock tonight uh, we go into the House Chapel, which is right in the Capitol, under the Capitol dome. And every member is invited for 30 minutes to come into the quiet time caucus and you can meditate, you can pray the rosary, you can have, just have quiet time.
0: How many members that. are showing
2: up? Yeah. Uh just me and really one other guy. <laughs> hey, we're holding,
1: it's a start. We're
2: we're holding we're holding the space, uh, and we do that tonight. And then you know we got votes at six thirty, and then uh, I've got a, an event tonight for the new leadership uh, council. That's uh, a big organization for new leaders. And then what, one other thing we do that you may find interesting: we do every week we do a session with staff members where we've been getting about 30 or 40 staff members come, and we have different uh, meditation teachers come in, uh, teachers that are doing work with veterans, doing work in the schools, doing work uh, in hospitals, education, the military. They come, and they'll do about a half-hour Guided uh, meditation session for staffers, and these staffers are great. You know, they're 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 really enjoying it. They're they're seeing the benefits of it, and they're learning all the different applications. So to me, that's almost more important than the members of Congress. And to have thirty or forty staffers there that are interested in this kind of thing um, is really cool. You know, it's really it's really something that says you know maybe there is a little shift happening here.
0: Well, Congressman Tim Ryan, author of a Mindful Nation, How a Simple Practice Can Help Us Reduce Stress, Improve Performance, and Recapture the American Spirit. Thank you so much for coming on to my podcast, and uh, I really appreciate the time. I know you're a busy guy.
2: Well, thank you. I think it's really important that guys like you find value in this and want to help get the word out because the moms in the school districts, you know, the, the people on the uh, school boards and the teachers, the more they hear about this, they can start this uh, in, in, uh, in their own classroom. And in the back of A Mindful Nation, um, there's a resource section of different organizations that are doing this work. And so any of your listeners can go and get the book and get into the resource section and get some direction on how to implement this in your own communities. It's a very decentralized movement, and uh, we need everybody's help to get it rolling.
0: Also, I will say in the back of the book, there's some... Sample exercises of different of different paths and different traditions on how you can uh, practice mindfulness. So I, I recommend go. that as well. I appreciate that, James.
2: Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Thanks, Congressman. Goodbye. Bye.